Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hey. Hey, man. Uh, sorry. I sound a little disappointed. I When I heard the phone ring, I got excited. I've been getting these awesome calls. I don't. I don't want to brag, but like political people have been reaching out to me. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big honor that they want to hear from you. Yeah. I, yeah, I've been getting text and phone calls. And so it's delightful. So sorry. But anyway, I'm glad to talk to you as well. <laughs> Feels like, uh, based on the, cause I, I've been getting, uh, I've heard of people getting calls. I, I, I'm not as important as you. No, I've been getting constant ones. Um, it, it seems like the stakes, based on what they're saying, are are uh, are pretty low for this election. Yeah, they're indifferent. Like if I say I don't know if I'm going to vote or not, they're like, "Hey, just do what you want." It's cool. Seems seems like seems like a lot of people are just like, you know, flip a coin. It'll be all right. Right. Even stuff that's come in uh, for the person that I voted for, um, I've still just been sending dumb stuff back to them every because in a lot of cases it's real people that are sending text messages. It's not just programs, um, and so I've had I've had a lot of real weird conversations with people about just like somebody texted me the other day, if you vote if you don't vote this person out or whatever it was, and I was like. Uh, have you ever heard of the band Avalon? And uh, so we t we talked about that for a while. Yeah, it's just like it's it's gotten. I, I have felt in recent days like just let's just get like for the love of God, let's just get this thing over with. Like I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yes. Um. Although I think it was last week or two weeks ago, Saturday Night Live did a skit basically referencing that what are we no, gonna, what are we going to talk about after this yes did you see that i did see it yeah and they are very much on point with that assessment <laughs> what, what did he say like what am i gonna what am i gonna yell at my my family about <laughs> it's funny we'll we'll find new things yeah for sure it's um <laughs> It's obviously a strange time, but man, I, I talked to, I talked to Ricky the other day and I just asked him like, is this kind of, cause he, he protested through, you know, the Vietnam stuff and he's in his seventies and he's seen a lot. And, uh, I was like, does this feel like an extra dose of weird? Like, is there, is there a little bit more going on in this than normal? He said, yeah, it, it feels uniquely bad right now. So it that at least made me feel good that we're not nuts, you know, that this is a very bizarre, strange situation. It's just uniquely layered in a sense, right? I mean, and it's so obvious to talk about the, the specific layers, but you know, whether you want to use the phrase global pandemic and then like political crisis and race, you know, race, right. It just all 
funneling to this this single moment. And so, of course, there's been political uprisings in the past. There's been different levels of pandemics or whatever. There's been natural disasters, all these things. But it just feels uniquely layered in, in an, into a single moment of history. Yeah. And, you know, not to get uh, too far ahead of ourselves, but it does feel like people are putting a great deal of hope into what happens Tuesday. Like, like that it feels like people are hoping that whatever the outcome is, you know, for their guy is going to be the fix for all of this. Like that it's like the opposite of scapegoating. It's, but it's, it's letting this one moment bear the whole weight of everything that we're experiencing right now. I will, I guess, put it this way, that some of the wisest voices that I listen to are are not saying that this is nothing and that everything is okay, but have zero hope either way in the outcome of the election, I guess. And that's not to say that their lives, they don't have hope, but it's, it's just strange, I guess, that we think that there will be resolutions to things come election day. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty obviously critical of, of Trump. I'm, i I don't think I looked it up the other day. It's not, it's not illegal for me to say that I, you know, I voted for Biden Chelsea and I already voted earlier, whatever. Um, but, but Trump is a, he's like a, he's a stand in. He's a representation of so many different things that are wrong with the country. And he's, he's the manifestation of it. He, he himself is not the fullness of the issue. You know, like the, everything that like the full climate and context that Trump arises out of is still there and way stronger, you know? So if on Tuesday Biden wins, this, this, like what I've been thinking through is I, all of these issues are just going to continue to be present and they're probably going to be ramped up even more, you know, like it's, this is not some silver bullet and, and now we can, live in peace years, it's going to continue to be an issue. So the solution to this is not a new president, you know, even though I think it will help, it's not the fullness of, of a solution. I I think it's, I guess personally, I just think it's new problems. Sure. And I told, I told Chelsea that the other day I'm, I'm voting for this person, not because I'm extremely excited for them to be the president, but because I would rather critique them in office than who we have now. Yeah. I mean, are we allowed to talk? So, I mean, do you want to talk about how we are handling our own personal votes? I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, I don't, I mean, Hey, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of people, you know, 
uh, campaigning in pulpits and stuff like that. I've, I don't think it's that big of a deal to, uh, it's, it's everybody's personal thing. Like there might, there are some people that are super private about their votes. I, I'm not telling you that you need to, uh, talk about yours, but if you want to, I think we have free reign too. So I am personally, you know, voting third party. Um, and I'm not even necessarily going to name a person because what my convictions are telling me is in this pivotal moment, I really, my conviction is saying that the most important thing that is needed is a completely new way of approaching this. And so that obviously is not going to happen within a two-party system in my mind. And so, and, but, but the problem is until there becomes a larger part of the population who are willing to stand up and say, we're tired of the absolutely polarized positions that don't represent me. Right. Therefore we need, I mean, three, four, five options. Three and, would be good. Just, yeah. just at least one other option. And and so I, I just think that as I consider how I can best set up future generations, you know, again, my conviction says I need to hand them more parties and not my better gift to future generations would be additional parties, additional voices, as opposed to for this set of four years, if that makes sense. And I think, I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about this before, but it's so legitimate of a of a decision. And you're exactly right that we're not going to have that as a legitimate uh, possibility if nobody has the guts to do it. My, I'm more pragmatic, not prag, not that you're not pragmatic, but I'm more of an immediate thing. Like, let's just get this guy out. So I think it's, um, it's sc scarier for me for him to be in office for four more years. However, I don't think, I don't think that the guy that I voted for is the, you know, the hope for the world. I don't think that we're, you know, we're, we're about to have smooth sailing if this guy wins. Um, but I, um, I don't know. I, I think this is important to have like real conversations and not be so theoretical about, cause like I, I have a lot of kind of theoretical things or philosophical things politically, but I, I do think it's important to be specific about what's going to happen on Tuesday and the, the state that our country's in. Um, and, but before we even like go all the way down that road or whatever, let's at least read the text. Cause this is going to be a centering grounding kind of thing for the conversation that is, um, transcends these kind of like immediate political binaries, our country's politics and all that, of course. Um, but let, let me just read the text. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think I think it's Stanley Howard or someone that I've read that, that calls the Sermon on the Mount the, the constitution of the church, kind of setting it over and against the American constitution. Um, this is the central teaching of Jesus. What's odd about it is, is how simple it is and how obvious it is in some regard, but then how unbelievably absurd it is in counterculture, how countercultural it is. Yeah. It's... It's it's almost like okay, so this might not be this might not be the 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 best way to talk about it, but you listen to Kanye West on Joe Rogan's podcast, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and so and this has nothing to do what with what your or anyone's thoughts might be on either of those people or Kanye and his state of mind or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But, but the one thing that stood out to me was he was giving just a lot of ideas that Joe Rogan was, that would lead to Joe Rogan calling him so insightful and and a genius and, and just thinking it on planes that other people aren't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, but the things that he was saying were just so simple and foundational to the human existence. And we've reached a point in our, in our, in our world where we have gone so far past the simple wisdom that that now become, and those are the foundational things, but yet then those become this odd (laughs) genius fringe kind of thing. Right. And and one of my go-to examples is 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 this. It's like imagine this future gener- generation of of fish like slowly dragging themselves on dry ground, and the crazy one is the one who's speaking about creating a world in which they swim. Right. You know? and it's like reattaching to the roots of what it means to be a fish, and that's. And so what th- this teaching of Jesus is so foundational and so simple, but yet so detached from the way in which we actually construct our lives and construct our, our worlds. Well, let me, but let me say it a little bit different because it's, it may be the way that we would tend to structure our private lives, mm-hmm. but we 
don't view it as a strong enough foundation or a secure enough foundation to construct our public lives in. And so we're okay with constructing our private lives lives on these sorts of principles sometimes Mm -hmm. as long as we are doing so under a more secure um, umbrella of our our public authority figures constructing our communal life or national life on principles that look very different to this teaching. Yeah, there is a crazy dualism that's at play there. And we're just fine with Jesus being in control of our private lives and and not at all comfortable with Jesus, you know, being king of the world and and getting into the the public sector, the public sphere that that is all encompassing. I I was listening to Rowan Williams right before we we talked. He was giving a lecture and um he was talking about politics and mysticism and he it was just one of those Rowan Williams things where you have to really remind yourself to pay attention every 10 seconds. Um, right. But he his beginning part was that he called uh politics like a potential for sustainable justice like it is it gives the possibility of long-term justice in the world and so he he calls us to the importance of politics set rightly within kingdom of god kind of uh worldview but you know he says it's not unimportant it isn't just a fringe thing the possibilities of our collective voice together in politics can bring about good or justice in the world if we allow it to. But then, you know, he, he talks about all of the things that plague us, these kind of like, you know, whether it's identity politics or these extreme dualisms and and tribalism that like is, it, it profits on keeping us separate and yelling at each other and never stepping into what he would call like robust discourse or whatever. And so we just stay in our own camps, yell at each other and nothing ever moves forward. We never find any kind of common ground. We never, there's no ability for us to, to talk in ways that are charitable toward the other view. We don't see any kind of pure intentions behind people's politics that we disagree with. We only see them for, the fact that it's an ideological mismatch to uh, to ours, so we 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 just throw stones at each other, and um, yeah, it 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 is this, you know, it is this like catch twenty two thing that we find ourselves in that just constantly perpetuates us never moving forward. Well, part of it is that so many, well, almost all, if not the majority, of those conversations, like. Are, are occurring in the tributaries, isolated, hovering tributaries detached from any common river, in a sense. So, like this Sermon on the Mount, like this is the this is the feeding river. Like, of course, like Jesus doesn't give just this this list here of these absolute actions in which you need to take daily in order to achieve a fruitful society you know the i mean like there are going to be disagreements about what it means for um 
you know, to be humble so that you will inherit the earth or, or to, to seek mercy and to seek justice and to, um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. There, there will be disagreements, but there's such a difference if those disagreements are all being sourced from the same river. Does that make sense? Say, say what you mean more by um, that the disagreements are sourced from the same river. Well, the foundation, like, you know, we could, we could have multiple people discussing how it is that this section of the Sermon on the Mount plays out in the way in which we structure ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there are ways in which these branch out and find expression differently among different communities. But what I feel like is so prevalent right now is that, I mean, just to bring it into very into a very present day reality is I, I don't see any attachment to this core foundation from any political party that is the majority voices within the public discourse. And, and Christians that are entrenched in both camps think that their side represents Jesus fully. <laughs> you know, they would say that they are not just, not just ideologically or politically attached to this thing, but that God is on their side in the pursuit of that. And, and like Rowan Williams was talking about sort of in the, like us being divided and, um, and unable to have real discourse, um, that, that we love nothing more than having a sense of ideological purity that, that gives us a sense of moral uh, superiority over and against the other. And then that only leads to further divide. Like it, if there's not a base, that's, I think that's the mystical part of what he was talking about is if, you know, the mystic sees always yes. And it's always both. And it's always uh, more complex and more layered than just simple binaries. And so uh, the mystic operates from a foundational place of humility that I could be wrong. And I, I may not know this and, and what I know and what I see is limited and, and that we need each other and that, you know, we, we see the best in each other and, and, and that we are able to sharply disagree with one another, but that we do it in a way that is moving forward. Like that we see ourselves as connected and as a collective, like we're a part of the thing that Beekner calls a part of a, a, a huge spider web of humanity that where if you touch it anywhere, you set the whole thing trembling or Mother Teresa saying that we, that all of our ills can be traced back to the fact that we've forgotten that we belong to one another. And so if we don't ever like feel this kind of collective sense of belonging to one another and that we are, you know, brothers and sisters and part of the family of God, part of, you know, humanity as a whole, then we'll never, we'll never move forward. Yeah. I think that, again, I don't think that we give enough credit to how Countercultural might not be the right word, but how 
people redefining this type of text would be to our reality. Because it's almost like you've accepted certain rules to the game. And we are trying to navigate politically how to best win within those rules of that game. But we're doing so in a way that has accepted those rules as given. But what Jesus is saying with these rules is this is just a construct. You created that mm-hmm. game. You created that rule. There's a whole nother way of doing all of this. And one of the biggest challenges is to trust that breaking out of this game or this set of rules is okay because on the other side of that is an actual strong foundation on which a more beautiful world can be built. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that is apparent to me is, you know, Jesus calling us to be in the world, not of the world or whatever. There are so many people that are putting their full identity, the full weight of themselves, the you know, the the their hopes and dreams and all of that into our current political systems. And you know, it that's just not the foundation that you want to be defining for your life. And it's 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 not uh it's not the foundation for any believer and it it can't be and so it doesn't mean that you don't engage in it it just means that you know it's almost the same way that we talked about uh give to caesar what caesar it's like the, yeah go ahead vote and 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 do all of that engage politically like see the uh see the possibility of our collective voice coming together as being able to accomplish some sort of good and and work and you know do all of that but it isn't our highest calling. It isn't our primary identity. It isn't um, the fullness of who we are. No, and it's hard to believe in the, the possibility of an alternative because we're not witnessing it in mm-hmm. many ways. You know, I think it was uh, listening to Eric Weinstein this week, and um, I'm going to butcher this because he's a mathematical genius and I'm not, but <laughs> he was. There was this. He was talking about um, this other guy who was asked what was the most important mathematical discovery in history, and the the discovery, some theory was named, and apparently it was not that grand of a discovery, and it was wasn't this big enormous breakthrough. And they they asked him, well, why is that so important or so valuable? And the reason was is because he said it was the the first time that modern mathematicians were able to uh, figure something out that the ancient ones didn't. And so what that did, he said, was open up this whole new set of possibilities out of which much more grand discoveries were made. You know, it was the thing basically probably – uh, a better, clearer way to say it would be just simply that, you know, the first person to break the four minute mile then opened the doors for many others to follow. 
And, and, and that's why I feel it's so important right now. Like, how do we steer this thing in a way that opens up doors to new possibilities? Because we either try to win within the rules that we've been given, like be even, you know, be the most Christ-like within the current constructs, or we believe that there are new, better possibilities that embody teachings like the Sermon on the Mount in a way that, again, just brings about these more beautiful expressions of communal organization. Yeah, it it does feel like what we've known up until now is is gone. And regardless of who wins or loses, we live in a different country today than we did, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And I don't know that there's any going back. And so now, now we, you know, we get to decide what kind of people we want to be. And I think that's why it was so disappointing for a lot of people that Biden did win the nomination because it represented kind of an old guard sort of thing backwards that it's going to be similar to what we've, what we've had. And so I do think what you're saying, you know, not that Kanye West is some kind of, uh, you know, uh, some kind of political guru that we're, you know, we're all looking to, to, to steer us in, you know, the next 20 years or whatever. But what you're saying is correct. At least there was uh, some semblance of, of, of new ideas, but the new ideas being back to things that were, are so primal and so basic. Like I, I love the point that you made because, you know, everybody's like, he's this, he is this, or, uh, Joe Rogan was like, he's, you know, he's a genius or he's whatever it he's talking about like, uh, farming and education and uh children and you know like it's it's not like it's elon musk talking about neural link or something it's it's pretty basic stuff right i yeah i mean think about i mean think about you know what happened when the israelites left egypt okay so you know, because it's easy to throw out words like, you know, we need to do new things and open up doors to new possibilities, a new way of doing, you know, and which I've just used that phrase a lot. And it's easy to just simply throw that out in, in vague terms and almost like um, or in vague ways. But but what that doesn't mean is like, you know, creating a humanity that no longer needs to eat or something right, like, right. like when, when the Israelites left Egypt and the call was to create a new way of being in the world, in the wilderness, like they, they still needed family units. They still needed ways of growing and interacting with food. They still needed education. Like, the the categories the fundamental categories of what it means to be a human individual and a human uh collect or collectively uh 
to be a human community, those don't change. That you know, it it's more of we don't need to we don't need to overthink it. But it's almost like it's almost like if if a tree was running into a whole lot of problems and tried to solve its problems without even considering roots, bark, leaves, branches. It's like, consider the essential fundamental things about what it means to be a tree, but approach it with a new spirit, approach it with a new pers uh, perspective. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount gives us. It doesn't say be human in new ways that are unrecognizable. It's giving a new spirit to direct the ways in which we express our humanity. I think that's right on. I think animated by a different kind of energy as you go about doing the, the normal things of what it means to be a human being and has meant to be a human being for you know thousands of years. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people pushing back as like, you know, at calling it naive or, or worse as like, you know, active injustice or something of being sympathetic and, and seeing humanity in, uh, people with different perspectives or people that have landed in different places politically. Um, and, it, it is such a, I don't know, it's such a scary thing to me because I saw someone that was a pastor today that it shared a story of, uh, I guess, two neighbors were had different political signs in their front yard or whatever. They were different, uh, they wanted different candidates this, this go around. And it talked about their, their relationship and how the two neighbors had a, you know, had a healthy relationship and they they knew each other and their kids played together and all that kind of stuff i didn't read the article but the the, per, the pastor that shared it was talking about how just bemoaning it, how horrible you know how that these two things are antithetical and how whatever and i understand her point in it because it it is a uh it is a privileged thing to in some ways to, to think that there are low stakes in this election i I understand that perspective and I, I agree with, with it. I, I know that the, you know, that there are real things that are at stake and that, that whatever, but if we can't find shared humanity and, and have some kind of common good or some kind of feeling of um, mutuality with people, I think we're doomed. And, you know, I, I thought about my neighbor who, you know, we have this great relationship. Zeke loves them and, uh, and they love Zeke and we have this, you know, just really cool thing. And I became friends on Facebook with one of them and, you know, they think a lot different politically than I do. And ultimately, I don't know if I can't, if I can't continue, uh, relationship with them, if I can't, have conversations with them. If I can't keep, I don't know, having some sense of shared humanity with them, that, that to me feels like a, like a really dangerous, dire kind of a place to be. 
Right. And not even a shared humanity that sweeps political leanings under the carpet. Right. But, but a shared humanity that genuinely understands the steps that have led to an individual backing either political party at this point. Yeah. Like, which is why I think it's important that we told kind of everyone how we voted in this, because I do want to bring this stuff out into the light. If we're not able to talk about it, because you know, there are going to be people that hear me uh, say that I vote for Biden and they're going to think that, you know, I can promise you a lot of people I grew up with would think that that's, you know, that's a, a tacit endorsement of whatever X uh, issue or uh, people that hear you voting third party and saying, well, you you are throwing your vote away and you're just voting for Trump by not voting for Biden or whatever. And I think if you can't bring the specificity out into the light and have a conversation about it and to like, I don't know if, if, if this is some secret thing that we go into these little secret ballot boxes and we, we cast our votes and nobody ever knows. I don't know. It just feels like it, it continues to maintain this secret. I don't this power that uh, is under the surface that we never get to really bring out into the light and talk about. That's a, that's a good point. And part of what it reveals, um, the fact that, that it is so hush hush a lot of times and so, done so much in secrecy is that, that we don't trust that the others around us will understand the path that we have been on that, led to our decision or empathize with that or have any kind of mercy or compassion to that. I mean, I'm not, believe me, I'm not trying to say that I have this, you know, figured out or that I've reached this state of, um, you know, spiritual enlightenment or compassion that, that enables me to say this, but I can genuinely say that I understand why someone would vote for Biden. I understand why someone would vote for Trump, and I understand why someone would choose an alternative party, or like, not vote at all, or, or exactly, or not, or not vote at all. I like there are there are genuine elements that lead to those decisions, and and if. To just leap to a conclusion that another person is insane or ridiculous to land where they do is just to simply put on display, you know, our lack of – of what? Our lack of – I don't know. Empathy or compassion is not the right word, but I don't, it's our, it's our lack of understanding of understanding. Yeah. It, it, it also, it reveals how thick our, our blinders are, I guess would be a good way to put it. It, it definitely is. I, I've been listening to uh, Richard Rohr and Brian McLaren and, a, and another lady that I don't know um, have got a new podcast out that Richard's center puts puts out or produces and Brian McLaren was talking about um, 
some of the things that 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 plague us and one of them being that that we like simple conclusions over complex ones and so we we don't we don't like complexity we like to bunch people together we like to go lowest common denominator and just you know because it's easier for our brains or whatever and doing that misses the point like because there are people you know like i said about talking about my vote talking about your vote there are people that um that immediately categorized you because you you said that you listened to kanye on uh joe rogan and there are people who uh because i just mentioned brian mclaren and richard Rohr immediately categorized me in a certain way and it just like to reduce people down is such a is such a disservice to to them and you know if we're talking about Jesus's central teachings his uh his golden rule of of doing to others as we would have them doing to us is is so i think appropriate here like interpret others decisions and look at people and and come to conclusions about people in the same way that you would want someone to do that about you and um, I don't think we do that. Yeah, it's not that it's not that simple. And and none of us, in whatever context we find ourselves, want to be defined in such simplistic ways. But yet, it's it's the tool or the lens that we use to define each other based on small snippets of what we see or hear in others you're exactly right and i i think i reject the premise that what we're doing right now is cheap middle ground kind of thinking that we're we're just too scared to take a stand on certain things and we you know we're just safely in between polarity so that nobody has you know i i reject that premise because i think that it's really important and i think that the you know, the contemplative mind, the mystic, whatever, is someone who constantly rejects this kind of moral superiority of tribalism and is constantly critical of their own thinking and understanding and views themselves as limited and has humility in, um, I don't know, and sees everything as a kind of cohesive whole and, you know, refuses to see the the world through the lens of 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 binary and who's in and who's out kind of thinking and so anyway i think the sermon on the mount is such an important thing for us to return back to we're we're tuesday there's going to be someone who is elected uh or it might be delayed and we might be you know spun into a two month hell cycle of trying to figure out who wins and all that kind of stuff ultimately you know we're still going to be friends and neighbors and um, members of communities and churches and friend circles and all of that. And, and we'll get to continue kind of living out of this different kind of kingdom animated in new ways and in different ways and, you know, refusing to buy into all these limited and limiting sort of ways of thinking. And, um, so maybe maybe to end it, I'll just read the text one more time and uh, and then Steve, you can pray at the end. Is that is that okay? Yeah. 
Matthew chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to read it in the message because um, I did this for Lectio this week and I liked it. Same text. Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So God, we pray for this election. God, in our nation, we, we know that the call of the church is to do more than that. But we also know that it is part of what we are called to do. So God, I pray your blessing and your presence and your spirit to be a thick reality amongst us on Tuesday. God, we don't put our ultimate hope in anything that happens in the political world. God, my hope is for individuals and families and communities and cities and nations to respond to the call of your spirit to seek what it means to be blessed in your world, to understand the beauty of poverty, to understand the beauty of mourning and being met with comfort, humility. God, taking the responsibility of caring for your earth. God, seeking justice, seeking the genuine full expression god of all individuals seeing everyone as a gift giver to the world god seeking mercy desiring mercy for ourselves 
and seeking to be people who show mercy to others. God that seeks purity. God, holiness, a word that just seems so ancient and out of date, God. The communities and cities that rise up with holiness. God, we seek your peace. God, if it means suffering, if it means persecution, God, help us to suffer for the things that are worth suffering for. God, my hope is in an embodiment of your sacred teaching. That there would be a new way of expressing your life into your world. Forgive us when we are so nearsighted, God, so anxious, so fearful. God, as we have been tricked into believing that our hope resides in a single president, God, in the history of your universe, billions of years, God, and even now, with billions of individuals on your planet. God, forgive us that we place so much hope in a single individual that we call president. Teach us, God, to have bigger minds, bigger understandings, built on your simple foundations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.